Good morning. Thank you. It's April 1st. Uh, happy April Fool's Day. Uh, <laughs> so uh, welcome to another episode of Code Concepts with myself, Pete Roquet, and my co-host, Rachel Patterson. Rachel is unable, unable to join us today, but we have a special guest. We have Jorge Rivera with the People's Resource Center. And Jorge is an advocate for the um, for substandard people in substandard housing conditions and uh, low-income housing. Uh, I've met Jorge. I had the privilege of meeting and working with Jorge through the California Healthy Housing Coalition. It's uh, collaborative with many jurisdictions throughout California to make sure that people have good indoor air quality, uh, uh, substandard, uh, you know, meet minimum standards of living, and those awesome good things. So with that, how you doing, Jorge? I'm doing well. How you doing, Pete? Good to see you. Awesome. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we have a lot to talk about. So today's episode is, um, you know, us as code enforcement officers, we tend to visit a lot of, uh, we get a lot of complaints for substandard housing. And a lot of, a lot of our officers don't know what to say to some of these folks. And, you know, uh, we don't know housing law. We don't know, um, you know, what kind of things uh, are available for their, you know, the people in these type of conditions where we can point them in a, in a specific way. So uh, one of the things that Jorge does is he's a very big advocate of making sure people uh, live in habitable housing. So healthy, habitable housing. So uh, with that, uh, Jorge, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I, you know, I, I know you didn't, you know, grow up one day and say, Hey, I want to be a, you know, the, <laughs> the people's resource center, uh, you know, uh, main guy on YouTube. So uh, can you tell us a little bit of how you got started, where you're from, you know, how, how you got into this, uh, this whole industry? Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I've, I was pretty much born and raised here in Southern California. Um, actually not born. I was born in Chicago, but I was raised here since like they're three years uh, old. And I, I lived in Southeast LA in Southgate for up until I went to college. Um, I went to Cal State Long Beach and I kind of stayed in Long Beach um, for, for about close to 25 years before just recently moving out. And um, sort of in the latter part of that period of being in Long Beach, I started to just like get involved in the community, uh, volunteer different nonprofits. And then I came across uh, a group that was uh, advocating for tenants' rights and affordable housing. And I became really interested. And at that time, I had a lot of free time. And so the, uh, I just volunteered for them to to learn more about tenants rights because i had been a tenant at the time and didn't know anything about my rights uh and so i wanted to know what they knew and i wanted to i wanted to learn about what they were trying to do which was to ensure that people were living in healthy homes and safe homes to ensure that there was enough affordable housing available for people to deal with like the homelessness population uh, that uh, that people's rights were being uh, were being upheld and 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 all, and just the whole tenant tenant landlord relationship right and so uh, I've been doing that ever since uh, and so I've been doing tenant advocacy and tenant organizing for over 10 years now. Uh, I established the, the People's Resource Center about two years ago because there seems to be a need to, to get information and education out to tenants about what their rights are and how to advocate for their rights. And, and so we started the Tenant Counseling Hotline because as a tenant organizer, I can organize tenants and, and I can help them advocate for their rights, help them advocate for healthy homes and things like that. But there seems to be, uh, there seems to be a lot of time that's taken up just dealing with people's habitability issues and, and other issues that, that an organizer's time gets split up. So, uh, and I decided to support the organizing community by doing the tenant counseling hotline and once we're once you resolve to people's tenants issues or or habitability issues then they can get more involved in the advocacy and the organizing part of it so so yeah so i've been doing uh, i've been doing tenant uh, tenants rights stuff for for over 10 years and yeah it's just a passion of mine and it just intersects with so many other things like uh like health 
uh, and intersects. Like we try to incorporate, uh, like in our YouTube videos, we incorporate a lot of wellness practices because it's a stressful thing living in an uninhabitable home or like you got roaches crawling around or you can't sleep because you're getting bitten by bed bugs or you can't breathe because there's mold. Um, and that, that can weigh on you. And then that transfers into your job. It transfers into your social life. It transfers into your relationships out in the community. And, and it just, it just, it, it permeates so many different facets of our lives that I think that living in a healthy and a safe home is so vital to, to not only just our health, but, but just our, our being in community. You know, one of the yeah, things Jorge, that, that I noticed, um, you know, in working in healthy housing, you know, um, I tend to I really tend to um, to uh, look at people's situations sometimes because, you know, I, I grew up in I grew up in Long Beach as well. I grew up where now is what they call Chavez Park. That whole area had to be demolished because it was so substandard. I lived in a three-story building, and you know, um, the, the Press Telegram did an actual article on the place where I was living as the worst place where you could possibly live. We had cats living in the walls. It, it was it was pretty, to me that was normal. It, to me, as a child growing yeah. up, seeing roaches walk run, running around, that was normal. And you know, um, and I lived in a in a one bedroom uh, apartment with like three other families growing up because we were super poor. And to us, that was a norm because it happened throughout the whole. And we didn't know any better. We didn't, you know, we uh, we didn't know what tenants' rights were. Well, I, as a kid, I didn't know. I didn't really care. You know, all I know is like, hey, don't make too much noise because uh, you know the, the neighbor's gonna get mad. Uh, you know, and yeah, the, things like that. But um, there was a lot of issues. You know, I remember there was uh, mold uh, throughout. Like, you know, the laundry room was full of mold. To me, as a kid, that was like, eh, it's dirty. I, I don't. Yeah. I didn't recognize that. And talking to a lot of these code officers that been through that type of substandard housing, they grew up in similar similar things that we're now enforcing. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people are sickly because of the mold and they didn't know it was because of that. Their air quality, yeah. you know, um, you know, a dust, uh, dander, all those kind of things. You know, same thing with uh, with roach infestation. People don't realize that the the sheddings of thorax and, you know, the little fecal matter that causes um, that causes a lot of uh, stuff on your health as well. Right. So one of the things, one of the one of the reasons why I personally got involved with the California Healthy and Housing Coalition is where we met is because, you know, they're big advocates for making sure there's a minimum standard of living for folks throughout California. Uh, you know, the collaborative between you, um, there's, you know, there's groups out there that, uh, you know, they're primarily focused on people not getting taken advantage of as far as uh, over overpriced rent or their have fear of you know deportation or, or or you know or or those kind of things so i think it's really important for code officials like myself and uh to be able to see how we personally can relay the information and today's um today's uh show is primarily uh based in california because jorge is in california and he deals with uh California tenants, uh, tenants light, uh, rights, but across the United States, the habitability is similar. You know, you, you're not, you shouldn't be living in mold. You shouldn't be living in pest infestated, 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 uh, uh, homes, you know, uh, you know, and people don't realize that sometimes these have a, a very, like you said, a effect on people's, uh, social life, you know, because, you know, as I got older, you know, um, I, I, you know, I, I went to a primarily, uh, you know, more affluent uh, school, you know, so I was, uh, you know, I used to be bused to a different county. So I was looking at people with like the, you know, the big houses mm -hmm. and the mansion. I here living in a three bedroom, you know, substandard uh, apartment. So there's no way I was going to invite them over to my house. No. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and, and, and it weighs on people. And it, there's a there's a psychological there's a psychological thing, you know, people. You know, I met people that are afraid to bring their dates back to their home because they're afraid oh, of it. they get, you know, they're they're getting romantic and I turn on the lights and you have like a whole audience of uh, roaches, <laughs> you know, and, you know, but it gets to the point where it's really bad where, you know, you're talking to, a, you know, a resident during the day, you know, and, and you know, no, normally a lot of these insects are nocturnal, you know, they, they thrive in, you know, in the dark. And during the day, they're crawling on, a, you know, like a baby's, uh, you know, face and, you know, going into the ear and you know, it causes all sorts of stuff. Now, now, can you can you tell us some of the um, some of the 
kind of calls that you get at the call center on types of help, you know, just kind of like, you know, like maybe uh, some of the more like top two, three, and then we'll discuss it and based on the code enforcement type of, of, of issue. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think the, the most common one has to do with infestations um, and, and that's usually, usually roaches. Um, and I think, I think you're, I want to want to go back to something that you pointed on and something that I want to communicate because I think that there's, in my experience, because I've dealt mostly with sort of like the Long Beach code enforcement and, and in my experience, there's, there's a disconnect between, between the, the tenants and, and sort of like the code enforcement, like the, like a misunderstanding. And I think that, that uh, it would be really important for like code enforcement. I know that they're not able to necessarily um, impose like civil, civil related issues like tenants rights, because that's not their job. Right. But if they understood what the rights of a tenant were, then, then maybe they they can better advocate for for the tenant, right? Um, like uh, for example, with the uh, roach infestations, if if the we get we get most of most of these all the time. There's one building that I can think of. There's several actually, but there's one that I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about where uh, they've just like you said the, the roaches are getting into into the food. The roaches are getting into the refrigerator. Um, the 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 microwave has has gone down a couple of times because they're getting into the microwave uh, and because this is where they like to go you know they like to go where there's moisture and they like to go where there's warmth um and and i think that if if there was a better understanding of tenants rights that that the the code enforcement can use the relationship with the tenants as as an allyship and and can work together collaboratively to to get the to get the issues fixed there's a there's a warrant of habitability that uh, a property owner owes the tenant when they lease or rent the apartment and that's written in california civil code so if if the tenant has that right to a habitable and safe place and it's code enforcement's job to enforce health and safety codes then i see that there's a natural alliance there you know there's a team and and sometimes sometimes the the tenants they they're really leaning on code enforcement to help them because they have a non-compliant owner right and and i think that that the objective of both code enforcement and tenants and tenant advocates like myself it's the same we want to get the place to a safe and a habitable condition Right. So I think that if we're able to if we're able to work together, tenants and code enforcement, I think that we can have a much stronger team and, and, and reach our goals uh, much better, much better than that. I, w I would agree with that statement. Um, w one of the things that um, there's a new bill, AB 838. I know the California Healthy Housing uh, Coalition was uh, a big advocate of it. So was the California Association of Code Enforcement. And. One of one of the one of the things that this bill said was starting July 1st, if a code enforcement division does get a, any type of call on a substandard uh, living condition, we have to respond. You know, and same thing with uh, with uh, if we get a, a complaint about lead, we have to respond. Back then, it wasn't there. You know, you being in, uh, you know, you had dealing with these advocacy groups. Some of these code enforcement divisions, like, well, call the health department or you know do this or you know we. You know, I, I've been in jurisdictions where we tend to kind of pass the buck to to that because we didn't have the training or the experience to um, deal with substandard housing. Now, as the the climate's changing, it so is the need for us to kind of start understanding what, why, you know, what causes mold. Maybe it's a leaky. Uh, maybe there's an air leak. There's a water intrusion. Or there's a there's a roof leak. And, you know, so we have to look at these primary causes of what's going on. So we are starting to get questions for it. So we're, we're going to yeah. ask some of the questions. So here's the first question. Uh, number one, how, hey guys, I'm curious. This is from James Hartley. I'm curious about your experience with smart rodent trap technology or how do you uh, handle manage, uh, managing rodent infestation? So I'll answer that one first on the code enforcement side. So we do get um, evidence of uh, like rodent infestation. One of the things that the, the International Property Maintenance Code allows is uh, it's not a, you know, you're not, 
you you shouldn't have a, a rodent infestation period. It's in our it's in that code. Uh, many cities have adopted it. Um, it's uh, it's not standard across our industry. It should be. I know we talked to the California um, the uh, Building and Safety Commission in regards to adding it to the books that should be explored uh, when um, when adopting our building codes. Uh, but uh, you know, some cities still are using the 1997 Uniform Housing Code, which is, you know, you're, you're talking 1997. I mean, you know, I'm wearing my 80s gear today. It's a little bit, just a little bit older than that. But, um, and I think it's time for some of these jurisdictions to start looking and, you know, updating because the International Property Maintenance gets updated every every couple of years. So there's new things that can be added, especially if you have enough uh, a voice and, you know, goes through the proper channels, hearings and, you know, uh, the commissions and you're able to add more things to help the uh, substandard conditions. So one of the things that the International Property Maintenance Code does do is allows you to ask for a professional uh, evaluation, a professional report and, uh, and, and also, um, uh, you know, something that says, hey, we're solving this issue. This issue is solved. It's certified by a certified exterminator. So these are kind of tools of, of our tool belt that a lot of people don't know that we have. And, you know, the more you understand that these type of tools, the more you can enforce them. So on, on now, so Jorge, on, on your uh, side, what can one do if one has uh, a complaint about rodent infestation? Well, uh, I mean, again, like we deal with the, the tenant's rights side of things. So we always initiate the conversation with the owner because it's the responsibility at the end of the day of the owner to maintain a habitable living space. So we always recommend uh, that that the tenants first document and and request for maintenance and repairs and and then and then then follow suit if if they don't get a response, the state of California says that a reasonable amount of time is around 30 days. But I, I say that it depends on what the issue is, because if I got a non-working toilet, I'm not going to wait 30 days for the for the landlord to respond. I need that toilet fixed now. So um, so some some issues are going to be more immediate than others. But we started with the letter. We wait, we give the, the property owner or the manager a reasonable amount of time to respond. And then the next step, the recommendation is that the tenant uh, call out code enforcement. And, and then that's when we, um, we have them or direct them or we even assist them on calling code enforcement or we call a code enforcement on their behalf to, to request an inspection. And then we try to work with the code officer to, to remedy the situation and utilizing like uh, the tenant's rights and what we have in our tool belt to, to try to make it happen. Um, I, saw, I saw a question that came in around like, uh, what are some things that I suggest to bridge the gap between code enforcement and tenants. Well, um, I mean, you, you, Pete, and several other code officers are, are the exception to the rule. Uh, in my experience, um, code officers seem to be seem to be very disconnected from from the the experience of the tenant. And so I think that, like you said, this is a psychological, this is psychological and there's a lot of shame that comes with living in bad conditions. And then also there's a lot of uh, unworthiness because like you said, like you mentioned, Pete, you and so many others that we come across, they just, you know, maybe they come from poorer beginnings. And so they just almost believe that this is normal and they accept that this is some sort of normality. And so there's some work that we have to do to try to educate them and inform them is like, no, it's like you deserve more, right? You deserve a safe and habitable place to live. That's the contract that you entered into with the owner and the manager. And I think for code enforcement, having them understand kind of like the emotional and the mental state of tenants and what they might be going through. They like, cause a lot of them are so scared to call code enforcement. They're so fearful um, because maybe they come from, maybe they come from another place that has like a lot of uh, corruption in the government, or they come from a place where they, they don't like say the, in Long Beach, there's a huge uh, Cambodian community. Yep. And look, look at their history and look at their government and look at why they had to flee their, their country to come here. It's like they're not going to trust authority. They're not going to trust like the government. They're going to have a, a very, a very, um, a very distinct distrust of them. 
And a lot of our, a lot of the tenants that we come across that maybe are non-English speakers, they don't trust either. And so I think if, if a code enforcement officer understands kind of where the tenant is coming from, um, there might be some, some training for like emotional intelligence or some sort of like, uh, some sort of emotional, uh, emotional based training for code officers, I think that they can approach the, the, the situation a little bit differently and gain the trust of the tenant and then work in, in coordination with them to try to get things fixed. Um, so yeah, I think, I think training, but that's like sort of like what we do, what we're saying like for police officers, right. Is like, yeah. you know, they need additional sort of like emotional, yeah. uh, uh, racial, uh, bias type of training. I think code enforcement officers, uh, can can definitely benefit from something like that as well. I think it'll make their lives easier. I would agree with that. And, you know, I've talked to you about the frustrations with, you know, tenant advocacy groups. You're not the first one and tells me, hey, you get it, but all these other code enforcement officers don't get it. And one of the reasons why we have this forum is because I want to tell other officers, hey, you know, there's ways to work with these uh, tenant right groups because, you know, they're humping their, you know, they're busting their tail trying to, get them some work and help them out. And we have the authority and the, you know, the responsibility to enforce these codes. And I think Cecilia put on the uh, code here earlier, the IPMC 309.1 does talk about road infestation. So does uh, California Healthy Code 17920.2A. So she's very technical on this stuff. So, and you know, if, if you ever took one of Cecilia's courses, she really talks, she gets down, she brings bed bugs to and tells people, these are what bed bugs look like. And this is the life cycle. You know, somebody always tries to steal her bed bugs, which is, you know, we laugh and, you know, but she, you know, during a class, she's like, hey, when you go to a hotel, this is how you do it. Or this is how you not bring roaches home or, you know, and, you know, for, for folks that live in these, you know, and we tell people, hey, you know, don't buy, uh, don't, something simple as educating somebody, hey, if you're, you know, don't buy electronics at a yard sale or don't buy this at a yard sale because you're bringing extra guests home with you, you know? So we do have a lot of questions and we do have a lot of comments. Uh, One thing I do want to tell you is, you know, beforehand, we spoke about this and educating more, you know, the Spanish speaking community on what they can do because us as, you know, and and I tell you, I do a lot of presentations. You've seen some of my presentations and, you know, the first thing when I do a Spanish presentation, I ask people who knows what a code enforcement officer is. Nobody ever raises their hand. You know, when I say who knows what the city is, the city's going to, they're going to call the city. They're going to get you. Everybody raises their hand. And I go, guess what? I'm the city. You know, you're so last to that, you know? And then they all look at me and they're like, they're cool, but they're not cool, you know? And, and, and then I educate them on what it is, why I'm there. And, you know, and they, of course, you know, I get the, you know, like, hey, what if my cousin, you know, staying in the garage and, you know, if the neighbor calls, I'm like, okay, did the neighbor call your cousin? Yeah. You know, so then we'll talk. This is what you can do. This is, um, you know, and then now explain new California law that says you can actually convert your garage into a living space. So there's, there's different things that California is doing to help some of these substandard issues or the housing crisis. So, you know, yeah. even though many cities don't agree with it and it's changing the landscape of their neighborhoods, you know, sometimes, yeah. you know, the bigger picture is, you know, some of these folks need a place to live. So, and so we do have some questions. So first one is from our, our, our friend, uh, Cynthia Velasquez. Um, so Cynthia is actually going to be doing some Spanish uh, stuff with us in educating the public. So is Minnie Garcia and Cecilia Muela. So we, we have, and hopefully we'll work with you and partner with you and do some stuff uh, together uh, up and down the state with healthy housing. So, how, uh, so here's the question. How about if there's a substandard code case and the tenant calls in, but they have been served with an eviction notice? They're refusing to pay rent and now their lawyers involved. Do we open a case for documentations, then inspect after? So here's my answer, Cynthia. A substandard condition exists. Nobody should be living in a substandard condition, whether they're going through an eviction or not. Just because that's the case, the, the conditions are still present, you know? So if it's an imminent thing, you have to respond. Us, you know, um, if there's uh, some, some, uh, some injunction that we're not allowed to, you know, uh, you know, because if somebody's living in a substandard, we're like, oh, yeah, you got 30 days on your rig. No, it, it needs to be immediately. You know, it, it, to me, it doesn't really matter. We need to take action. Uh, a lot of times you have to talk to your city attorney, building official, what the best course of action is. In my experience, if it's substandard, we're going to act on it today. 
you know, we're not going to wait a week. We're not going to wait a month. We're not going to wait the 60 or 90 days that the, that California says, hey, you know what? Guess what? There's there's relocation protocols where, yeah, you can put them while they fix your place and then come back and then get evicted. You know, there, there's a there's a lot of things that somebody can do. So that's that's on our part. On, on your part, um, Jose, what is something that if somebody's going through an eviction, I, I know you, you get into that sticky situation with evictions. Yeah. So what happens there? Well, um, it, it depends on, I guess, it, I guess your answer is, is the answer that I would go with, regardless of what's happening on the civil side. I think that, that uh, if it's an uninhabitable uh, place, code enforcement should still go and inspect. Reason being is because regardless of what happens with that tenant situation, another family is going to go live in there. Yeah. Right. And it could be children. It could be. And so we don't want the next family to come in to be exposed to the same uninhabitable living conditions that that tenant had to deal with. And if it depending on the type of lawsuit and the type of lawyer that is involved, it might if it's the tenant's lawyer, it might help the tenant to have a third party inspection report of stating all of the code violations, right? And so there we work with attorneys that do affirmative cases where they actually sue the owner or the, uh, or the insurance company of the building for not maintaining habitable living conditions. And it's those third party inspection reports that really help out the case because it's not just the tenant saying it, it's the city saying it. Yeah. Right. And so now you have now you have two people and then you have the city actually saying that these issues exist. It totally helps out the uh, the lawsuit on behalf of the tenant when it comes to that. Then, you know, you have a really bad actor property owner. Right. So and I would say, yeah, totally go for it. Yeah. One thing that um, code officers should take in consideration when you walk into some of these um, some of these places, make sure you if you know it's a bad condition, you normally can make a quick assessment. Uh, use your uh, personal protective gear uh, because you know what? You, there's no way you should be walking into a place full of mold uh, because it could cause long term respiratory. Even though it's normal for some folks, it may not be normal for you. Sometimes we walk into these hoarding conditions with excessive cat urine and pneumonia and we're walking in like, hey, you know, no. Even though those folks have been exposed to it for years, their body's used to it. Our bodies aren't. And a lot of times we we can be exposed to those dangers. Sometimes we can bring critters home. I, I've been in places where I use my Tyvek suit, uh, you know, fleas love white. So, you know, by the end, by by the time, it, you know, I look dirty, but it's just nothing but fleas on my on my Tyvek suit. So it's it's very it's very important that you understand how to when to don PPEs. That's another safe, uh, um, officer safety component. So we do have a lot of questions. So let's go to the next one. This is from YouTube. This is from uh, Mr. Uh, Joseph uh, Liff. Uh, some citizens I encounter need the help of a social worker agency, but know how to don't know how to get it. How can code enforcement officers connect them to services available? Now, uh, so that sounds like a code enforcement uh, question, but uh, you know I know you have some on your side too. Um, sometimes we do experience where we do um, go into places where it's just I've been to places where uh, you know there's a lot of pets, there's excessive feces all over the floor, uh, kids crawling around, you have to do your due diligence and, you know, and contact the proper uh, place for care, whether it be child protective services, adult protective services, uh, mental health specialists, whoever, uh, you know, you as a code enforcement officer or, or, or division should have a list of resources available. Um, you know, a lot of times if, you're, um, if your agency is contracted with a county, you should have those county contacts available because it's so important for you to know who to call because, you know, you leaving somebody in a, in a state of, uh, you know, help, you know, needing help. It, I mean, it, it always it can come back. Uh, I'm telling you from experience, you know, I wish sometimes I would have done more. At, at a given situation now my experience says i have to act today you know waiting around is not an option for me nowadays back then it, it was because you know i was young i did i'm like oh i have 20 cases i have to get 20 cases I, if i get stuck here i'm gonna get stuck here all day it's sometimes you know what that's what it, you know it's it's about quality not quantity when it comes to code enforcement so uh, on your side when you do see something on the tenant advocacy group that you know you should report how do you guys handle that jose uh, well, um, it's a hard it's a hard one to be quite honest because I think as uh, I don't know if uh, code enforcement officers are mandated reporters 
Um, but, but I think mandated reporters typically, yeah. if they encounter something like that, they have to, they have to report it and then sort of let the other agency sort it out and try to fix it. Um, it's a difficult one because like you shared Pete, that when you were growing up that you had like three families in a really small apartment and we, I mean, the, the overcrowding conditions that, that we're experiencing today because of the house, housing crisis can actually produce a lot of these, these living conditions, right? So it's not necessarily uh, a lack of, of attending to, to the, the conditions of the home, but it's just that there's so many people in the home that, that things get in disarray. And, and so, I mean, that's easily solvable if everybody had an affordable place to live and then they can all sort of maintain their own units. So, so it's, it's a tricky one. I think that uh, for personally, when I go into, into a home, I try to have a conversation about the unsafe conditions that I see and, and offer them, offer them solutions on how to remedy some of those unsafe and unhealthy conditions before actually moving forward because if, if once if they have information and they're given some sort of solutions and we can help them t take some of those steps to solving the issues then then maybe we can avoid having some like child protective services come in um and doing so so i i try to like again understand what's actually taking place understand the context i i know that I know that maybe code enforcement officers because they work for the city may not have that same leniency but from 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 my standpoint as a nonprofit going into community I try to work with them first before reaching a point where I have to report to to some sort of third party agency like CPS child protective services or something like that Understandable. So we here's another one. We have. Uh, let me see. I personally wish I heard tenants uh, more often. One of the biggest part of my job is being able to improve conditions for them. Yes, I, I think yeah. you know when when we're in this uh, when we're in this industry. You know, at the end of the day, we're here to improve people's quality of life. You know, that's um, that that's uh, Rachel Patterson's motto: improving quality of life through community services and outreach. You know, so she's she's a very big advocate of. Uh, tenants right and she's so bummed that she wasn't here she just texted me saying oh, she, was there. <laughs> she needs to do something but yeah but uh let me see here's another one um part of my fear uh maybe dwelling maybe declaring inhabitable now they're out of place to live so here in california um there are some places for relocation services um you know at the end of the day the tenant the the property owner is responsible for ensuring that somebody lives in a habitable uh, space. And guess what? If I have to red tag the property because it's gotten that bad, is what it's telling me, it's either A, the uh, you are negligent and you are not maintaining a minimal standard. I'm not saying you have to have a home and house and garden, you know, magazine cover on your you know apartment complex, but you have to meet the minimal standards, which isn't high, you know? So, you know, hot water, uh, you know, a, a heater, uh, you know, not leaky roof. Those kind of things are, you know, it's pretty expressed in the health and safety code here in California. So the the standards there, it's it's not, you know, it's it's a minimal standard. And if you're not minimal standard, you know, there, there's got to be an issue. Either you're not communicating with your tenant, or you're not, uh, or you're not being present enough. So um, and and sometimes it is the tenant's fault. The tenant's the one causing or or being difficult. And so we experience that. So we're, I, I can't always blame it on the property owner because sometimes it is the tenants. Sometimes it's a combination of two. And sometimes you have two strong personalities fighting each other. You're like, hey, I want to fix this because you complain about it. Well, I'm going to sue you and da da da. You know, and then it just becomes a civil issue between both of them. And then it, you know, unfortunately, code enforcement gets sucked into it and. And, and it happens, you know, and, and and I see why it's a turnoff for a lot of code enforcement divisions to get involved in those things. I 100% see it, but at the same time, we do have a due diligence to make sure people live in a habitable housing uh, condition. So, all right, let's move yes. on. Let's move on. Uh, let's see, Miss Celia, yes, get to know your communities. They are so essential. And she laughed about some. Yes, got to know your craft. There you go. Um, you got missed. Uh, love, love that Cecilia. Okay, they're having a love spat over there. I agree, haha. -ha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, my typo. Uh, Seventeen ninety twenty point three. Yes, that is the uh, healthy the ha housing code. 
So let me see. Anthony, thank you. Okay. We're almost down to our, so as long as they can uh, be there and haven't been evicted uh, yet, we should be able to inspect is what is, uh, is what we practice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. As long as they're there, we can inspect. Correct. As long as we have uh, consent to enter or a warrant, uh, we're good to go. So yes, rewarding when you get compliance for the property owner and the tenants have a safe and healthy home. 100%, Cynthia. Yes. Okay, here's our last comment. Hearing that, thank you uh, for the best. All right, cool. Awesome. So we're all caught up. All right, cool. <laughs> all right. So now, uh, so if you guys haven't, uh, you guys never heard of the uh, People's Resource Center. So we, um, Jorge does do, um, has a YouTube channel. Uh, you know, the People Resource Center has a YouTube channel where Jorge is the star of it. You know, he does a quick meditation and wellness, which is very important. And then uh, he talks about things like uh, tenant responsibilities. So we're going to go through some of your videos and talk talk a little bit about them. I'm not going to play them, but um, we'll talk like tenant responsibilities, like nuisances. Um, the, you, you had a video on that. Can you tell us a little bit about that video? Sure. I think I think it's important to not only talk about what the tenant's rights are as far as advocating toward the, the owner of the property or the manager of the property, but also giving them a sense of what the expectation is of them as a tenant in, in entering into this unit, into this relationship with the owner. And so the last video, the, the last video and the next few videos are going to be around tenant responsibilities. And uh, so the, the video was about uh, it's the tenant's responsibility not to be a nuisance, uh, not to cause damage to the property, uh, not to do any illegal activity in the unit and uh, and not to commit waste right and so i and and i think that it's it's important for them to know about these responsibilities so that they know what's expected of them but also so that they can understand that that expectation is also transferred to their neighbors right so if there is a neighbor that is playing loud music doing construction after hours uh, or on the weekends, or is just leaving their trash um, sort of laying around, or is not throwing it in the dumpster. That that they know that it's their that it's their responsibility to do that. And as well as if they get a complaint from another neighbor that maybe they're playing their music too loud, or they're also doing these things that that it is they're the expectation of them as well. So that people have an understanding of what to expect of one another. So that you were, we're more neighborly and we're more understanding and, uh, and that folks are going into it sort of like with eyes wide open and, and not just getting uh, caught offside. Like right now, specifically because of COVID, there's all these tenant protection laws that are in place in LA County and in different cities within the county. And one of the, one of the reasons that's uh, allowed for, for eviction is around nuisance, right? So, so I think it's important for tenants to understand what people mean by nuisance and and what all that entails, so that that so that they can avoid that, and then they can sort of uh, avoid some sort of reason for for eviction, right? So so yeah, so we want to share not only what their rights are, but what their responsibilities are as well. Yeah, so COVID was a tough tough uh, enforcement period. You know, I was still in in local city government, and people were using COVID as an excuse not to pay rent or to do this. And I'm like, hey. Rent rent's a whole different issue. If you're if it's something substandard or that may endanger somebody's health or safety, we have to act. We don't really, you know, the eviction portion is like, hey, that's that's not my business. My my business is is it dangerous today? And if the answer is yes, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to do the proper write up. Everything yeah, is yeah. status quo. Uh, you know, whether the eviction happens, that's not my concern. That's a civil issue between you and the tenant. Um, but uh, one of the things that when you when you talk about this, you know, I, I we tend to deal with a lot of property owners and property owners tend to like try to wiggle themselves out. You know, we're like, hey, you know what? There's things that you can do if it's your tenants, the problem, you know, in, in your lease, you should maybe explore, you know, putting something in there like all the tenants must uh, um, obey all city, uh, state, county, federal laws. You know, because a lot of times if you're violating, uh, you know, like uh, I'm going to give you an example uh, in the Hispanic community. Sometimes it happens, uh, you know, people have like restaurants running out of their apartment, you know, or, you know, and and 
we like, hey, we're getting reports. We're like, I can't get them out because of COVID. I'm like, well, you know what? They, they still need to follow, follow all state, federal guidelines. County says you need a health permit to uh, you run a restaurant. You know, you know, you need X, Y, Z. So, you know, if that's grounds for eviction, that's on your, that's your, that's your deal. But you, property owner, are responsible for this. If you're allowing this to happen, you're just e as equally responsible. Yeah, I'm going to deal with this person, but I'm also going to deal with you since you're the yeah. property owner. So, you know, a lot yeah. of times the property owner and the tenant both have to take responsibility and to ensure that they follow all, all codes and regulations. Sometimes it's the property owner, you know, they're, I mean, the tenant, they're not reporting something, you know, um, for example, there's a leak. They're not reporting the leak because they don't, you know, and, and this is, and it's sad to say, I'm going to say it, but a lot of times in the Hispanic communities there, they don't want to, you know, like cause trouble or get their rate uh rent raise so they don't report certain conditions and it just escalates and gets worse and you know yes. and then the property owner is like hey you could have told me when i had a little leak now it's this big gaping hole in the roof and you're not you know now I i'm forced to fix it and i can't afford it you know and and at the end of the day me as a code officer i'm like look i understand however you know this is your property you know right. you're responsible to fix it you know if you're feeling there's some negligence on the tenant's part that's something that you're gonna have to deal with the tenant but today yeah that needs to be repaired no and i totally get that and i think like in my experience again most of my experience has been with long beach code enforcement and some of like the the code officers like you may whether they're new they might be new or whatnot is um it's all about, I think it's all about perspective is, and if, if the, if the owner, if you're dealing with the owner and the owner's like telling them all these things about the tenant is like, Oh, they're not paying rent. They're not doing this. It's like, for all they know, the, the, the code officer, for all they know, they might be just advocating for their rights. Right. And, and if the, if the, the code officer is not familiar with the tenant rights, then they might, they might start to build this negative picture of the tenant and seeing them more of an adversary or, or, or an aggressor than, than an actual ally. Uh, and so I think if, if code enforcement was, was more informed on what tenants' rights are, they wouldn't be maybe so quick to judge or to criticize a tenant for whatever situation they might be in. For example, one of the videos that, we, that we've that we made is about the tenant's right to withhold rent if repairs are not getting made. made. It's, in, it's in state law. It's the tenant's right to withhold 100% of the rent if repairs are not made after being requested and given reasonable amount of time. Right. And so so if the tenant is withholding rent, they might be advocating for their right. But if a code enforcement officer might take that in and be like, oh, then they're just a bad tenant. And then they're probably the cause of these issues and not so much, you know, the, the person, the victim. And so I think the perspective has a lot to do with it. And I think that perspective is influenced by what we know and what we understand. And so if we can't get into if we can't be empathetic to the tenant situation as well as the owners, I said, then there's going to be a huge disconnect. And I think it might just, it might make things harder. But if, if, if you're more empathetic to, to the contextual situation of the tenant and what the tenant might be going through, like you said, it's like if a small leak is, is so scary to report out of fear of being perceived as a nuisance or as a complainer, and then you get your rent raised and then, or, and, or you get evicted, because you're complaining, that's scary stuff, right? So it's so if, and, and it's understandable that somebody is not going to say anything. And then if you're a non-English speaker who just signed a contract in English, you know how are you supposed to understand what you signed? And so they they might be a lot of these folks just out of the the mere necessity of having a place to live for them and their family and their children. They get into situations and they try to hold on to them with dear life, because the only the only other option is being out on the street. It's like so so they're going to just keep quiet, not cause any trouble. They're not going to say nothing. But then, then they find, like you said, things start to snowball, and then they find themselves in a really bad living situation that that is that is bad for them and it's bad for the owner now as well. So, so I think education and information is key. Is what we try to do is is like some people don't even know that a torn window screen is a violation. Mm -hmm. 
right? The simple things, like, but it's like you go to these apartments and all these screens are torn down. They're non-existent. They're not even there. They're all bent up. And, but they don't know to, to report that. They don't know to even ask for that as a repair. Uh, if, if the door isn't completely locking or if their community gate doesn't completely lock, mm-hmm. that's a safety issue, right? So they don't know to report that because they, they're not informed as to what those violations are. So I think, I think uh, as, as uh, Cecilia mentioned in the comments, get to know your communities, build relationships with the communities, provide them with information, provide them with education, provide them with resources, and ensure that there are uh, there's um, language speakers of their preferred language. There's so many times where we have uh, Spanish-speaking only tenants that are calling code enforcement and they send a non-Spanish speaker out. How is the officer supposed to communicate with the tenant, ask questions, get answers, investigate if they can't even communicate? So I think code enforcement officers and departments need to invest resources into ensuring that there's some sort of like language access and there's some sort of language justice so that you're able to communicate with the people that you're supposed to be um, going out and, and advocating for. No, you're a hundred percent right. And you know, one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show is because you know what, you understand tennis rights and a lot of code officers don't, you know, I sat there, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a tenants, uh, tenant landlords uh, handbook isn't imprint anymore but it was such a good yeah yeah but it's such a good resource you know it tells you about withholding rent and reporting issues and you know evictions and you know the kind of things that you should expect when renting but it also gives uh landlords the guidelines to what they need to provide a tenant it's a pretty good book it was available in spanish no longer in print uh, it's available on pdf i have a copy if anybody wants it or needs it uh, but it gives a lot of good information a lot of code officers never take the time to read it and it to me it's so important for you to understand you know as a code enforcement officer what the actions that you take today are going to happen tomorrow because you know what I can go to your house and yeah, I see a roach infestation and I can just go home on my merry way and never think about you again. But guess what? That family's stuck. That baby's stuck with the roach infestation. So, you know, I, I, you know, and growing up in a situation that I grew up in, you know, back then in the eighties, the rent was only like $300, you know, for a one bedroom apartment. You know, you're talking about one bedroom apartment. Now you're talking about 2,500, you know, $1,500, $2,500 plus right now so here we have a, a another comment from let me see uh from miss christilla miles here in texas we have a language line and what yeah, that means is language line solutions uh yep to act as an interpreter oh that's beautiful and a lot of jurisdictions take note it's important to do that um, you know, I, you know, I had a, a class, a Spanish for her code enforcement. I didn't teach Spanish in one day, but I taught very minimal, um, you know, very minimal on how to communicate, you know, and understand those types of communities because, you know, you as a code enforcement officer, you go to someone's house, you don't start, you know, uh, talking to the wife, you know, you talk to the husband. <laughs> so, you know, you got to understand these little cultural barriers too. say, you know, um, you know, like I said, I lived in Long Beach, so I knew the, uh, you know, you have an African-American area, you have a Filipino area, you have a, a Cambodian area, Vietnamese area, Chinese area. So you, you really have to know where you're at and what the culture is there, because a lot of times, you know, you know, there's a there's body language barriers as well. You know, you don't look. You know, certain nationalities you don't look at them in their eye. You know, so you, you you talk to them. You know, women you don't talk to them straight to their face. So you know, those are kind of things that code enforcement officers need to be cognizant of and also need to be aware of. You know, especially um, yeah. another situation that I see that isn't really discussed is you know a lot of times when you have these substandard structures, you do have a high criminal element. In some of them, you know, and so one of the things that I, you know, advocate for is know your surroundings because, you know, you know, yeah, you may have a substandard housing, but you may have, you know, uh, you know, uh, a gang member in the house, you know, that, you know, may, may, you know, you start telling them, hey, you need to fix this and you need to fix that. And, you know, you have somebody coming out angry and, you know, potential with criminal elements. So yeah, these are things that you have to be aware of being doing code enforcement, in these substandard housing uh, places. 
So now I, I know we're running out of time. See how fast it was? I told you it was going to go. Know. I know. Like, it yeah, goes yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah, we had like nine minutes left. But, you know, um, you know one, of, one of the things, uh, you know, so tell us what your role with Healthy Health. For, for those that don't know, the California Healthy House, again, it's a collaborative with different folks. Um, you know, we have uh, folks like Larry Brooks on there, Brandon uh, Kitagawa. You know, we have such amazing folks on, the, on that group that just kind of share information about what's going on, uh, you know, advocate for new, um, you know, uh, new bills uh, in our state legislature to help people in these types of conditions. So now what is the role of your type of organization in the California Healthy Housing Coalition? Uh, well, I think it's, it's basically to help inform uh, any potential legislation or, or bills that we want to sponsor or author from the tenant's perspective. I just want to ensure, because like, so so often, uh, so many laws and bills are are put together and passed without the impacted people at the table helping to make those decisions, right? So so I think I'm there as a representative of the community so that I can bring what I learn as far as the tenant experience to the table to make sure that that is helping inform some of these bills. Like for example, right now, one uh, bill that is being that is being considered is around like um, ensuring that that if there is one unit in a multi-unit building that has code violations, then then it becomes the responsibility of the officer to knock on a certain percentage of those doors, right, of that building, because more often more often times than not. I, in my experience, is it like if one unit's got roach infestations, chances are the other unit's got roach infestations, right? So, so if you're already there, and I know that this is like this, this brings into the question of like resources and what code enforcement departments have as far as resources, but I think it'll help inform sort of like, uh, it'll help, it'll help all of us out, I think, um, that kind of bill. But I want to like bring in the tenant experience into that space because this is a space that is collectively, as you mentioned, all these jurisdictions across the state that are putting together these bills and trying to push them forward. And so I just want to make sure that the tenant voice is heard. So there's a question, is this organization, is your organization, the People's Resource Center, only in the so-called area? And, and this is uh, from a code enforcement officer in Salinas, California. I'd love to uh, be able to connect and work together in my area on the central coast. She apologized for coming in a little bit late, but um, the California Healthy Coalition is a statewide organization. And you know, so there's different groups. I've worked with groups in Fresno. I've worked with you know, your groups. Uh, you know, so there's groups up and down the, the place, but uh, specifically to your question, does your group uh, uh, work in the central area? Um, the People's Research Center is right now is just SoCal focused. Yeah. Um, this is mainly because we, we're still, we're brand new. We just have a couple of staff and uh, we're doing what we can with what we got. Uh, since we're a nonprofit, we have to seek out grant funding to be able to, to build and expand. Happy to like, um, to be able to offer any kind of um, uh, just advice or, or counsel or connect to other groups, possibly in the Central Coast area, uh, other tenant groups that you might be able to, like if that's what you're looking for. But if you were talking about the California Healthy Housing Coalition, that's statewide and, and anybody anybody that's interested in healthy housing or indoor air quality can can be a part of that. And one of, one of the things that, you know, when, when I connected with Jorge was, you know what, I saw his different perspective. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're you guys don't really see how you can be allies and in, in, in seeking our missions because my job is to make sure that people live in health and safety housing. And his job is to ensure the health and safety housing. And we're just, causing, you know, a lot of times folks say, hey, we're just causing work for each other. But guess what? At the end of the day, the result is the same. We're, we're providing healthy housing for somebody that needs it. And, you know, that that's the end of the goal. And, you know, bringing these different perspectives, you know, sometimes people disagree. And that's what the Healthy Housing Coalition is about, because how do we meet a happy medium to make, make sure our bills and our our, our agendas are, are, are met with positive feedback? Because, you know, the worst thing you want to do is, you know, code enforcement say, we want to do this. 
And then you have Jorge's group saying, no, 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 we don't want that. We want this. So we come collaboratively to uh, understanding before we present these bills and we have we have advocates on both sides. It makes it more palatable for um, for the legislature to say, hey, this is a good bill. I'll give you an example. Uh, a couple of years back, uh, code enforcement, you know, we are now able to deem, uh, you know, pest infestation and mold as a substandard, uh, you know, it wasn't there before. So uh, bed bugs, you know, that's another issue that, you know, we help pass. Mold, uh, lead, <laughs> I mean, there's so many substandard housing. Now this new law, AB 838, that says, hey, if you receive a complaint, guess what, you have to respond. And that's probably based on a lot of code officers not doing what they're supposed to do and go out to these places. Now, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of things can be solved by having a proactive rental housing inspection program. But you know what, a lot of times, jurisdictions don't have the resources. They don't know where to start. You know, uh, we've helped set up uh, places and to help them, you know, establish their uh, rental housing inspection programs. Because, you know, there, there's a, like I said, you know, sometimes people don't know that air gaps, you know, may cause moisture, which cause, you know, maybe your your vent in the, um, in the uh, bathroom isn't working. So your moisture is causing, uh, you know, mold on, on your, on your uh, walls. So these are little things that can be remedied to, you know, help these long-term effects. So, you know, when we go out there proactively and look for things, you know, we don't want to cause extra, um, you know, financial strain on property owners, but say, hey, you know, I'm, you know, if I see, you know, if I see something like the torn screen, I'm like, if I see like a hole, I'm like, all right, whatever. But, you know, I, we use, uh, we use our discretion, you know, we use more of the spirit of the law, you know, and so we see a leak that, you know, could potentially be, you know, causing you know it is what it is we're like hey you need you should fix that because it's going to cause a long-term like damage to your 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 uh your sub uh, sub flooring you know so we see these things so you know us as code enforcement officers we should be able to see these understand the long-term repercussions of uh poor maintenance and be able to articulate that to the the tenants and say hey tenants uh, you should be reporting this to your property owner or property owner hey during our routine inspection this is what we encounter uh, we, we advise you to take these steps to remedy. And, you know, it, and there's always that saying, a uh, 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 pound, uh, what do you call it? An uh, ounce of uh, uh, prevention is a pound of cure. So uh, a lot of times that's 100% true. So, Jorge, uh, other things that we see, uh, let me see, withholding rent, uh, you know, um, in regards to California law, withholding rent, uh, repairing and deducting. Can you t talk a little bit about that? Just really, uh, you know, I know we're running out sure. of time, so we're... Yeah, there's so much I could I could talk about this for 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 hours. There's so much yeah. to talk about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, as it, as it relates to to habitability, we we try to to follow sort of like a slow escalation process when we're working with tenants. Um, at first, like you said, is it documentation is so important. We tell people that you have to document this, um, and and I don't know how. It's unfortunate that the documentation that tenants do in the home cannot be shared with code enforcement officers, at least in our experience, it can't be because the code enforcement officer has to be the one to actually see the things. But like sometimes we have like videos of rats and mice and things like that that may not show up when the inspector's there, uh, but we can't use that information to help further along the, the situation. So documentation, we tell them document write a letter. And what we try to do is, like I said, because when one unit has an issue, it's very likely that another unit has an issue. So we try to knock on the doors of the neighbors and trying to find out to see, are they having similar issues? And if they do, then we encourage them to write a collective letter, like to, to write a letter together, because one letter together is much, much stronger than one single individual. So then you send the letter you wait a reasonable amount of time. If that doesn't happen, that's when we enact uh, code enforcement. And then if code enforcement comes in, does their inspection, and there's still no response, then we then we advise them of their rights on what choices they can take. They can either repair and deduct themselves according to state law, or they can withhold 100% of the rent, or they can repair and then sue in small claims court. So, but these are these are choices that the tenants are going to have to make because they're risky. Right, because as soon as you start to withhold money from the owner, 
uh, they're going to get real mad. <laughs> so, real fast, yes. so try, yeah, so they'll try to take actions like to evict and things like that. So we, we advise them with some caution, but we try to take all of these other steps first before reaching that point, because I think that uh, the tenants have to do their due diligence and, and just take the steps necessary first. And we do talk, you know, a lot of times when when it's something when it has to do with discrimination, when you're getting uh, retaliatory, um, you know, uh, evictions on those things, we do refer them saying, hey, maybe you need to talk to legal aid or you need to talk to fair yes. housing, you know, because yes. uh, they do have their own they have their own protocols to assist tenants. You know, you, you have your advocacy group that's there to inform them and educate them and help them out. But you have other legal resources that you can do, like legal aid. There's a lot of uh, places out there that specifically help tenants out there. Um, you know, a lot of pro bono attorneys that do that. Um, so, yes. you know, th there's a lot of stuff that we can do. Now, uh, you know, just kind of ending on a, on a, on a note, I, I think, you know, the more we educate the public and, you know, this is a commitment that I make. You know, when I talk to some of these folks like yourself, I'm like, you know, I want to continue to work with you and educating the public and, you know, in Spanish, like I said, we, I have a, a good slew of people to assist me to, you know, reach out and say, hey, um, you shouldn't be scared to call code enforcement because we're here to help. We're not here to, you know, uh, punish you or, you know, or or put you against your pro your landlord. We're here to assist you to make sure you live in a habitable space. Because at yes. the end of the day, we sleep better at night. Our communities are better, you know, and, and I, I've dealt with garage conversions that caught on fire and somebody lost their life. And, you know, that's something that, I mean, it wasn't my fault, but, you know, I wish I could have done something sooner, you know, and, and yeah. these are kind of things that us as, as code enforcement officers, we, we can say, hey, you know what, we did the best that we could to help that situation out. And, you know, and we can sleep better at night for it. So, um, you know, we, we have a tough job. You know, you have a tough job. We see some of the some of the the gnarliest stuff out there. And, you know, we really yes. appreciate you coming on. And, you know, we'll definitely uh, invite you on again and talk about some other uh, cool, um, you know, uh, tenant rights stuff. So but with that, I really appreciate your time. And thank you for coming on today. And, you know, I'm sorry we missed Rachel, but, uh, you know, she had a day. But, you know, she really was looking forward to this conversation. So. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much, Pete. It was great oh, to no be on. Problem. No problem. Well, everybody, we will see you next week. And we really appreciate your time and and dedication to our show. Thank you. All right. Bye.